So we've come here to practice and meditate, to bring the mind and the heart to a measure of lucid calm or samadhi. This quality of samadhi in the heart is essential. The chitta or mind with samadhi has established itself in a degree of stability. And this stability of heart serves as a basis for wisdom to arise. The samadhi we are able to cultivate is dependent on our holding good ethics or sila. So this chain of good qualities beginning with ethical conduct or sila leads to firmness of mind, samadhi, which in turn gives rise to wisdom. And it is because of these qualities that we are able to raise ourselves and our hearts to the level of humans above that of animals. An animal will spend its entire life just looking after its material and bodily needs, searching for food day in and day out, and paying no mind to other concerns in life. However, because we have the potential to develop the heart and mind to a truly transcendent and human level, then we also have the ability to look beyond the day-to-day needs of survival and to look towards the development of our hearts. Whereas many people in the world live like animals, searching only for what they want and need to survive every day, one who's undertaken the spiritual practice establishes a higher goal to develop and brighten the heart and mind. Although such development is difficult, it's worthwhile. The mind of the human can grow to great strength and goodness and eventually even achieve liberation. Right now in our lives, our hearts have attachment because we hold wrong view. The stability of mind which might help us see past our wrong views is something we are not yet able to access because the five hindrances of sensual desire, ill will, sloth and torpor, doubt and restlessness and remorse keep our minds from becoming settled. So we practice meditation and formal sitting in order that we might calm these hindrances and achieve samadhi, bring the mind to a state of lucid calm. And this will give rise to an easeful heart.
with the mind imbued with such calm, we can develop wisdom or panya, contemplating the four elements, for example, and how the body can be divided into these four constituents of the material realm. At first, we can close our eyes and use thinking and perception intentionally to bring to mind each of these elements within our own bodies. This will be somewhat artificial, but still useful and is necessary for most of us at the beginning. We contemplate the element of earth in all things of our body which are hard, such as the bones, the blood vessels, the skin, teeth, hair, and so on. We contemplate the water element or liquid and those things which have a quality of liquidity, such as the pus, the blood, the saliva, the urine, and so on. We contemplate fire in the element of heat and energy within our bodies, that which allows us to move, metabolize, and digest food. We finally contemplate the wind element, which is responsible and associated with not only the in and out breathing, but also with all movement within our body. And we use this sort of thinking and contemplation until we become expert at it and develop peace and a calm mind from such contemplation. Once we've developed not only this calm, but also the wisdom that can arise from such calm, we may gain insight into the nature of all conditioned phenomena. Just as the Buddha's first disciple or enlightened disciple, Anya Kondanya, saw that all things that have the nature to arise also have the nature to cease. Yang Kinchi Samudaya Damang Sabantang Niroda Damang Ti. Just so we also will perceive this essential fact of conditioned existence and encounter in that insight the deathless, attaining the first stage at least of awakening, sotapanna or stream entry. This is the fruit of such development of wisdom. To contemplate this mass of elements, the body, as just that much allows us to see through the self and to understand that within this body, this form that we usually attach so tightly to, there is no being or self to be found. This vision and insight leads us to see Dhamma. And when we practice regularly, when we attempt to bring our lives in line with the good, when we apply ourselves consistently to the practice, then we may indeed find ourselves moving towards just such insight. This practice of formal meditation can be difficult at first, and we may need to use different techniques to bring the mind to calm.
For example, we may chant either internally or out loud. And if we find that as we chant, we're still thinking and the mind is running, then we might try to increase the speed of our chanting internally. Or if this does not help, we might take three deep in-breaths and exhales, calming our mind and bodies in such a way. This is how we reestablish mindfulness. If, as we chant, we allow the mind to wander after this and that, then the practice is of little benefit. But if we manage to keep our thinking with the chanting and the subject of our recollection, then we can expect to come out of the chanting with the mind concentrated. And this is good. It means we're using the chanting as it should be. Some of the chants we use focus directly on this contemplation of the body and the development of wisdom through it. For example, we chant the different parts of the body and this aligns with the practice of the first Satipatthana or foundation of mindfulness, which directs one to contemplate the body internally and externally. So this contemplation of the body externally includes our looking at and thinking about the external parts of the body which we can see, such as the hair of the head, hair of the body, nails, teeth, and skin, kesa, loma, naka, danta, tacho, which wrap the body and obscure it from view. Ajahn Chah taught us to look past this, to think of what those around us would look like if we peeled all of the skin off, how they would be completely red with blood and white with bone. Similarly, in line with the Satipatthana Sutta, we contemplate the body internally, seeing all the various organs and other elements that fill this form. And this leads to wisdom. Only the Buddha taught such powerful insight and the path to the deathless so clearly. The Brahmas during his time did not know this path and neither did the other ascetics. And his teaching and legacy still exist his paramita in the world today and in Thailand where the teaching is still extant. Ajahn Chah would frequently ask, can't we find or can't we see the Buddha born in Thailand today? And this was a question delivered with wisdom to make us realize that whenever one sees the Dhamma, they see the Buddha even more so that whenever we develop mindfulness and wisdom, that we are developing the path towards the Buddha. Whenever we are close to mindfulness, we are close to the Buddha. As greed or hatred or delusion arise in our minds, 
our knowing of these things with mindfulness allows us to keep them from invading the heart. And then Dhamma has room to come into our minds and lives. Someone who knows anger as it arises can have the wisdom to not take it up and to forgive. And because this essential practice and instruction is still available to us, the path and fruit is also still available to us and it is timeless. So we should look at our lives and those around us. We should see how in the world today, many suffer, sicken, and pass away and reflect that we too are subject to this same fate. Time passes constantly and relentlessly and we must use what time we have now for our benefit. The future is not for sure, but right now we can develop our hearts, raising the level of our minds to a true transcendence. And this is good. We must walk the path of sila, samadhi, and panya, ethics, concentration, and wisdom. We may still have thinking and the mind might still run, but at least we can think in line with the path, in line with Dhamma. We can contemplate how this body is not a self or a being. We can direct our attention towards the four foundations of mindfulness, perceiving the body as just that much, a body in a body, and similarly with feelings, the mind, and Dhamma categories. When we're in pain, we see the Vedana or feeling as just that much, as just Vedana. And we should not become discouraged if this practice is difficult. All those who have come and ordained have barami, have spiritual strength and accumulated merit just to be interested enough in the teaching to come and ordain, to have sila, to be interested in practicing and to further be able to bring the mind to any level of calm. All of these require great past merit and we should count ourselves blessed in that we have at least some of these qualities. So, as monks, either new or old, we must remain diligent. And whenever a thought arises, we must consider if that thought comes from the kilesa, the defilements, or from dhamma. If it comes from the kilesa, we must remind ourselves that we as monastics should not follow it and should instead direct our efforts, energy, and hearts towards making an end of all suffering. So, for all those gathered here, both monastic and laity, I wish you all the best in your practice and the development of your hearts. <laughs>